All right, I'm excited about this podcast. Um, these are two people that I have um, only actually met recently, um, but been aware of their business for the last few months. Um, one of the only businesses that may actually be growing quicker than we are. Um, and you know, certainly one of the things that I want to talk to them about today is how they've managed that growth, how they're dealing with the ever-changing world that we live in. I know that they they absolutely love SEO, and they're going to certainly talk about that. I'd love to hear um, you know, what their thoughts are for that channel going forward. Um, so my guests today are Carrie Rose and Stephen Kenwright, the two founders of Rise at Seven. Hello, Carrie and Stephen. Hey, Aaron. How things? Yeah, very good, thanks. I mean, a strange period, if I'm honest, where I feel like everything is is going on. Um, I'm sure we'll come come on to that. Um, so for those that, that maybe don't know you guys personally or, or don't know about Rise at Seven, will you, you just give me a quick sort of potted history on maybe you both individually and then Rise at Seven and, and where you've come from, how quickly you've grown, etc. Sure. So me and Carrie worked together at an SEO agency called Branded3 for about five years. I was there for about seven. Um, and I, I, we kind of grew, grew the team in a couple of different directions. Carrie was looking after a lot of um, creative work, particularly PR work. Um, I'd been pretty much everything in that agency at some point, so I ended up in, in sales and marketing, really. Um, and I, I was actually leaving towards the end of 2018, beginning of 2019. I was going in-house, and you know that was me deciding that I was ready to chill out. I was going to have a baby and, and, uh, and just kind of retire a little bit. Uh, obviously didn't work out because I think once I, I, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, but you're either agency people or you're, you're in-house people, I think. And the agency world kind of pulls you back in sometimes. So uh, where Rise at 7 really came from is while that was happening, me and uh, me and Carrie were talking a, a little bit more. She'd applied for The Apprentice and had to put a business plan together for you know, she decided she was going to do an agency and that's having, you know, grown uh, Branded3 for a few years, really. Um, she asked for my input into what, what would potentially be a good model for an agency. And um, yeah, although although she got towards towards the end, last 30, I think, right? Yeah, it was like the final 30 at the time. Um, and that didn't happen. We just, through lots of coincidences and serendipity, um, a, a potential investor dropped us a message on on Twitter and said that I'll back you if Lord Sugar doesn't. And then, you know, kind of the rest is history. We 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 launched the the business that we were going to, uh, that Carrie was going to launch for Lord Sugar, really. And are you glad that you didn't launch it with Lord Sugar then at this point? Or <laughs> yeah, um, I think on the time. So we had this business plan. Uh, well, I had the business plan, and Stephen helped me put it together. And what we did is we spotted. A massive gap in the industry we spotted a change in the way that agencies was working and the way that clients was working with agencies and i guess the fact that i got declined and then stephen kind of came back to me and then another investor um was like it was just like the perfect timing it was like okay i created this plan i spoke to the i think it was like lord sugar's financial partner and he interviewed me and he went through everything and he he actually said to me this is too 
good of a business plan to get you on the TV show. That's what he said. He said, you've nailed it. He was like, we, we're looking for, you know, people that were a bit of a failure a little um, to get on there. So um, he said, you've, you've done too well in, in a sense. So I think for me, um, it was the perfect... I don't know, security to say, okay, I've got this, I've got this nailed, I've got something to go at. And then when Stephen said, let's do this, it was, it was amazing. So both myself and Stephen are complete opposite people, which is why we've joined this podcast today. Um, because he was the SEO side of, of what I wanted to launch and I was the creative. And I guess what we'd like to talk about on the, on this podcast is how we've brought creativity and SEO together. Um, which what, which is what we thought the industry needed. And I, I love the balance. I think it's. I think all of the best founding teams that that I know have very different parts within it. Um, you know, Mina and Harriet go couldn't. We're aligned on lots of things, but like we're completely different people. We come at things completely differently. And I, I've always thought it's our biggest asset. Um, I completely agree. I, I can, you know, I, I can see very clearly that that you're both different. I think you know both brilliant and I think two sort of two forces that together you know one plus one equals three how how valuable have you found having a co-founder carry you obviously you, you initially maybe started to to sort of look at this opportunity um maybe alone and then Stevens obviously um come in and co-founded with you and you know I've, I've got no doubt has you know, you believe that you're you're further along than you would have been by yourself. But how, like, how was that mentality shift from you from sort of wanting to do it or, or thinking you're doing it by yourself to thinking, okay, I've got a partner now? Yeah, sure. So, um, I think what I kind of thought about at that time when it happened was, whilst myself and Stephen worked at Branded Three, the old agency me and him kind of became a bit of like a partnership in the agency at the time. So whenever there was a new business pitch, myself and Steven said, right, we're, we're going to take this one because we had a hundred, hundred percent, was it a hundred percent pitch win rate? Mm-hmm. Um, so very high. So whenever me and Steven went for a, a, to a pitch, we won it. Um, and what I think we were is I was the person that had amazing ideas. I, I kind of sold the dream to the clients. I could tell, I could tell, you know, the clients what what we're about to achieve. But when it came to actually talking about the reality, the the finance and the the tech part of it, as in like making it an actual reality, that's where Steven came in. So I think we kind of bounced off each other in that way, and it's very very similar in this sense. Stephen actually said to me um, when I was hiring staff at the beginning and when we was talking about joining together, his best piece of advice was you should always join a business or hire staff that can do things that you can't. And I'm not ignorant to the fact that there's a lot of things that I can't do. And if I went and hired or worked with somebody exact same as me, then what's the point? They can, I could just do that if I worked harder, if I worked longer hours, um, I could tick off those boxes. But there were so many things that I couldn't do, whereas Stephen could. So the fact he's literally the complete opposite person, if, if, you, if anybody ever gets to meet us, um, completely the opposite from a personality point of view, um, an opinion, but we do align um, in, a, in a very similar way as well. So there's not much conflict in that way. But what we actually do is give it an alternative angle and an alternative view. Um, so I think that allows us to grow so much faster as a business because I had a business partner doing the things I couldn't um, and, and likewise with him. So um, yeah, I, it completely changed the way that I thought about as a business. I think especially hiring people, I was always looking for, okay, where's the next Carrie Rose? And I was thinking, I'm not looking for another Carrie Rose. I'm looking for other people that can bring something to this plate. 
I think that's brilliant advice. I couldn't agree with Stephen anymore. I think the the value of self-awareness of leaders where you can understand what you're good at, but most importantly, what you're not good at and and then not try and, and sort of do that yourself, but actively look for the other. Um, so no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. So the, the fact that you worked together, same as us, right? The three of us worked together at a previous business. Do you think that's like you, you guys have grown? Just just tell people quickly how quickly you've grown. So we started on the 17th of June last year and uh, we are, we will have turned over 1.5 million by this point uh, when this podcast goes out. Um, we've won a new client every six days since we started. So I think we're on 48, 40, Something like 49 that. clients now. Um, and yeah, from the two of us up to 24 staff as we're talking. Yeah, that's incredible. How much easier do you think it's been? And this is really, I suppose, for advice for people thinking about starting their own agency or thinking about founding something. I personally think that the fact that we worked together before this made it so much easier when we did start. Do you do you feel the same way that you've, you've actually been working with each other for a few years rather than just, you know, like one year? Um, and, and has that given you a big advantage? I think so, yeah. Um, my, my view is like, um, my personality, I'm the type of person who has a few close friends that I am all in on. So, that, you know, if, if I trust someone, I trust someone implicitly and I'm not the type of person that immediately trusts people either. So, so when I'm, you know, when I was launching the agency with Carrie, I, I kind of, I had a good feeling about what she was really good at, but I was so prepared to just let her own all of that without trying to get involved in things that I know that she knows better than I do about it. Uh, and I think when you don't know someone, you kind of, even, you know, at this stage and, and the stage that you guys are at, when you're hiring someone in a senior role, you're thinking... I think they can do that job. We'll we'll have to watch and, and, and learn and see what they are and aren't good at. So the fact that me and Carrie have worked together, I knew that she could do the things that she could do. And I, and I hope, I assume, likewise, she knew that I could do um, things like the operational side and the finance side and just picking all those things up. And it kind of gave us the confidence where, you know, when, you, when you're in a new partnership, um, Carrie's kind of let me just get on with finance and, and legal and all that kind of stuff, which... You know, when you're starting a new business yourself, um, it, it's the thing that can take you down if you do it wrong. So there's a lot of trust in that partnership that has to come over a period of time, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I completely agree. Um, so you've grown to a million and a half, 24 staff um, in a year. What's what's the next two years look like for, for Rise at Seven? What's the goal? Well, the next step would be this next year, we think we can at least double what we've done this year. So um, although it kind of feels like we, we, we've grown at a real pace, I think we have a lot of momentum on our side. I don't think it feels like we are slowing at all. If anything, I think we're really accelerating. Um, so I think in the next year, we can definitely double. And I think in the following year, we could probably double again. So I mean, it, the, the milestones on the way to that, we have real ambitions to get out to the US particularly. We know that the market there is very different to where it is here. So I think that what we've done in the UK is take a lot of ideas that a lot of agencies have had and take them to kind of logical conclusion, take them to real extremes. 
And I think that in the US, we're only just starting to see some of those ideas like the digital side of PR and the real sort of creative side of search only just kind of coming out in that kind of market. So um, I think that there's a real opportunity for us out there too, because I just don't think that anyone is doing anything like what we're doing here. Whereas I think in the UK, we're just kind of doing it quite differently. I think we're totally different to what's out there. I certainly agree with that. And I'm trying not to take this the wrong way. Um, but I <laughs> just, <laughs> um, I, I think SEO is being hits. I think it's a channel that people are quite negative about in general. It's not, you know, it's, it's, and I think it's mainly because there's a lack of understanding about what it is. I think not all SEO agencies are the same. And there's sort of the standard SEO that people have been doing for the last 10 years. And then it feels like there's the sort of SEO content sort of side of things that you guys are doing, which feels almost different to traditional SEO. Um, so for those people that are thinking, oh, you know, this is just normal SEO, can you sort of tell them how it isn't? And Because the, the passion with which you talk about it feels very, very different to me than I think what most SEO companies think SEO is. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head when we're talking about SEO as a channel because it's not a channel. I think SEO is a reason for doing marketing in lots of different ways. So whether it's UX, CRO, all the other acronyms that kind of get thrown around, but what marketing is now, social media, PR, creative work, SEO is, is a byproduct of that in a lot of senses. So when you're making something go viral, there is an SEO impact to that. And when you're engaging people on a one-to-one basis on social media, there is a there is an SEO impact to that too. And I think that for us, SEO isn't what we do. It's just why we do it. So we view ourselves as a creative agency more than anything else. We do creative work, but SEO is why we do that work and the thing that really sets us apart from, from other agencies doing the same thing. So I, 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 totally, I totally agree that, you know, SEO as a, as a channel is something that does get a bad rep, but... I think you can look at pretty much any big brand in the world, in UK and US particularly, where do they get most of their traffic from? It's Google and it's organic pretty much 90% of the time. So regardless of like kind of whether it's in decline and whether there are fewer clicks to websites and that kind of thing, it's still the biggest. And when you look at, I remember like a few years ago when, when BuzzFeed first came out and there was a complete, you know, a massive massive amount of press about the fact that SEO was not their biggest channel as a publisher. Social media is what's driving the clicks to BuzzFeed. And and that was like, that was revolutionary. Everyone, you know, whether you're a brand or a pub- publisher, SEO is still just completely essential to what you're doing. Uh, and I think that although it is in decline, I think there's a real opportunity to do something a little bit differently that kind of throws it the other direction. I think to um, touch on that as well, so we were talking about this um, a couple of months back around measurement. So SEO, the industry, I guess, thrived because we could measure everything, which creative agencies typically couldn't in the past, or it's a lot of debated, um, I guess, wide historically. Um, But I think what we've actually seen is, okay, yes, we can measure everything. So can everybody. You know, data is bigger than ever ever, and everybody's got access to data. Um, Maybe some people have got more data and better data. But what people want now from SEO is to not only be given deliverable results and, you know, measurable results, is to actually feel good about it. So we took SEO and made it 
sexy we wanted to make it fun and creative and okay say okay we can deliver exactly the same as, an, as another seo agency but we can also make you proud and go over and show your mom you can also you know make your boss feel good because we did something different i think we disrupted the industry for sure um we actually we get a lot of comment around you know rise at seven have come in and changed things up and you know they're not really seo they're more of a creative agency but what we've done is is made a creative agency with search at the heart of it and um, which we didn't see anyone doing um which has been amazing for us and i think that's why we've got the likes of you know misguided and odian and and my protein across the world coming to us for something different yeah i i completely agree with that when i first sort of when harry first mentioned you guys to me it took me a little bit of time to actually sort of figure out what you were doing um, because I have a preconceived idea of what SEO is mainly and I had to sort of rethink it and you know Harry never said SEO he said no no they're, they're a content agency <laughs> like yeah they do SEO but it's it's like it's content and I think content is is king across everything and then being able to make that performance related I think is is absolutely where the world's moving so I think you've you've managed to reskin something in a different format that makes much more sense for for the day and age that we live in. Um, how you guys have had essentially ten months of sort of massive success. So you probably in the last three months have had your first sort of body blows, if you get what I mean. You like you've had your first sort of oh shit, um, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen with that? Like. Maybe we won't grow this month for the first time. Maybe, you know, and I'm not, maybe you have. How's, how's that three months been as sort of agency owners, particularly as agency owners where for Rise at Seven, it might be the first time that you sort of found yourself on ice? I think one thing that me and Carrie have in, in common um, when it comes to kind of personality types is neither of us are naturally cautious people. So when it first came around, I think we, we kind of trained ourselves to exercise a little bit of restraint. I think we did slow down growth in terms of headcount because we're like, you, you're immediately looking up and down your client list and thinking, where are the risks in this business? What are the, what are the situations that might arise? So, you know, we, we were still growing in terms of new business coming in and we need to deliver that. And I think we paused a little bit and I think it was really clear after about two weeks that we should unpause and we should really go for it. I mean, the last quarter we've actually become, well, I think we built 50% more than we did in the previous quarter. So we've, we've grown quite a lot since and through loads and loads of real sort of coincidences and, you know, I, I, I would like to say through us being good, but, you know, through lots of luck and all that kind of thing that goes with it too. <laughs> Um, we haven't really lost a client during this time. No one's really reduced spend a little bit here and there, but you know we're in an industry where you turn it off now, you feel the effects when everything opens yeah. rather than you feeling it immediately. So all of the clients that we've had, we, we kind of, through a little bit through design, we've attracted a lot of clients with a lot of long-term thinking who are very much, we need to reposition what we do what we do we need to change how we talk to our customers and you know do a completely different kind of content so they have a real long-term vision of what they what they want to achieve with that and and naturally we weren't the first to get cut from that kind of conversation 
just because we, we are very much, we seem to be, uh, thankfully, very much long-term plans for a lot of our clients. So it, it's kind of like we we went quiet for a little while and we certainly stopped shouting so much about success because that's one of the things that's driven more success for us is being really open and transparent about how we do what we do. So we did quiet it down a little bit, but I think, yeah, it's been a very strange time and, and just adjusting to the operational side of things has been the real headache. <laughs> I think just to add on that as well, Aaron, you mentioned before around we're a content agency and, and that is exactly the way. So we were speaking about this um, yesterday and we said, take Misguided. Misguided had a creative agency. They had a traditional PR agency and they had a TV you know, media agency. They fired every single one of them and, and, and put all the money into us because we was creating content which worked across search but also worked across social and also worked across the media. So um, yes, uh, I think during this time it's been really hard for us but I think what we've done from the beginning is positioned ourselves as, okay, we can create content, we can deliver search results but we can also do it just as good as the others um, that you're working with. Um, so I think we've benefited from that in that reason. Not going to lie, when all this kicked off, um, I, sh I shit myself I, I rang my mum and I thought I was going to lose everything I was like I've just built a million pound company and I feel like it's about to shatter beneath my feet um, but it didn't and I think the very similar to what we said before about myself and Stephen's personalities Stephen was thinking long term he told me okay this we need to be thinking and positioning strategies to our clients about the next four months because that's where they're going to stay with us because they're not going to see immediate impact However, the way that I thought was a lot re more reactive. So I was coming up with ideas that we turned around in two days. I was coming up with strategies that we could run um, very consistently over the next couple of weeks. So both myself and Ken Wright um, bounced off each other in that way that he had a long-term thinking, I had a short-term thinking, and that meant that clients got best of both worlds. So we didn't pause. Um, there was no pausing on execution there was no pausing on drive there was no poison on hiring or anything like that we just battled through and i think it's worked for us great and how have your clients changed so like from our point of view we've had you know we're we're really now in the sort of digital transformation game i suppose and we've had over the last year or so we've had a couple of big clients go through big rfps and decide not to award to anyone and essentially go well, I just don't think we're ready for this sort of to really go digital yet. Obviously, in the last month, lots of them have come back and gone, oh, okay, uh, I guess we have to do this right now because the world's changed. Have you, with the assumption that the world is going to move much, much more digital now, um, quicker than it would have done, are you seeing a change in how clients sort of are seeing the marketing mix and how they're, there, what is, are you feeling that already that they're moving more budgets into digital? Definitely, yeah. I mean, we are fortunate slash unfortunate that we do a lot of retail generally. So a lot of our clients are fashion and and, and high street brands. Um, and you know, unfortunate in the sense that those businesses are really suffering, but fortunate in the sense that our clients are digitally minded people at those companies who are moving budget that way. I think that. You know, from from an agency point of view, we are talking to different people now than we were, uh, certainly than I was a couple of years ago. You know, and and going back to the whole SEO thing, um, it's been historically viewed as a little bit of voodoo. So your typical marketing director wants nothing to do with it, has an SEO manager or head of SEO or whoever who's got some autonomy to go and find an agency who knows what they're doing with it. 
um, and, and, and kind of just bring someone on that way. Whereas I think that more frequently now we are starting to get CMOs, marketing directors, even CEOs saying, hold on, I'm paying this agency for content and paying this agency for content and paying this agency for content effectively three lots of content. And I don't have the bandwidth to manage all of those campaigns, to be honest. And I don't understand why we can't just create content that works across everything. It, it, it's now kind of with the kind of clients that we're talking to typically they are expecting that they can do a campaign and it does just work across digital as a thing because digital is everything. It doesn't just work for SEO. It doesn't just work for PR. It works for what what marketing is now, right? Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. I think we're going to see it, as you guys well know, we're going to see a digital roll-up for several agencies becoming that sort of replicating what the WPPs have done, the publicists have done, but with a pure digital offering. And I agree. I think that's that's the world that we're going to move into. Um, from a, you guys are still working at home, right? Or are you are your offices back open? We- yeah, we're working from home at the minute. Um, so we're in a lucky position where when Corona hit. Um, that was the, I think it was like the week or the day that our um, lease ended on our office. So it was so lucky that we just went, okay, everyone go home and we'll see what happens. And it meant that we was rent free. So we've saved, I think we added it up. It was like, we have two offices, one in London and one in Sheffield. And, you know, including everything from electricity and all that, I think it was about 10 grand we're saving a month. So as a, as a startup company, that's a lot of money to be saving per month. Um, so right now we're all working from home. Um, however, during um i think it was like around march time we was looking for an office and we've secured one and we haven't signed the contract yet we're waiting for all this to be over so we're ready to go back to an office and we planning on maybe moving back into the sheffield office around august time and london probably maybe a few months later maybe even next year and we, we're not 100% sure yet um but yeah um, we, we will be going back to office but we think things might change a bit a little in, in that way so you're in exactly the same position as us because our our office ended at the end of may last week um and we're in the same situation and so fortunate yeah absolutely it's so so fortunate we've kind of talked about this especially in the last couple of weeks of changing our mindset so i've been asked about five times whether rise at seven will work from home and the straight answer is absolutely not that doesn't mean that we're not going to encourage flexible working because we would so the way that i guess rise at seven has has thrived and grown in the last 11 months is because of its people it's genuinely is the people that's made rise at seven and we all bounce off each other the creative ideas the creative execution um, the sort of level of um, staff that we have are, you know, we have a lot of senior people, but then a few young interns and young execs, and they learn from those senior people. And the best way to do that is is in an office together. Um, so we will always encourage that and try get back to that office environment. But we was talking about um, this actually yesterday around um, whether we'll actually get, you know, the same amount of seats for the same amount of people, whether it will be half that and say, you know, okay, a couple of people work from home on certain days and use it more of like a a space to go in and and have meetings and, um, I don't know, come together a few days a week, but less... I don't know, investing in, you know, every single person has a seat to sit in. Um, We've changed our mind a little bit. We're still kind of thinking into this a bit more. Um, But yeah, it's interesting, really, um, the way it's come about. It sounds exactly the same. It it sounds exactly the same as us. Um, 
same thought process, you know, half the deaths, all that sort of stuff. How flexible were you before? Because we were, we've had zero flexibility, zero. Like nobody could work from home for even like half a day a week. Like up until COVID, everybody was in goats offices five days a week, no matter what. And so we've had a bit of a, and really I've been the main driving force behind that, to be honest. Like me personally, not believing that people will work effectively at home. I feel like, I've been proven wrong, to be honest. I do agree with what you're saying about there's still a value of energy and bouncing off each other and stuff like that, for sure. But like, were you the same as ours, zero flexibility before and you've sort of had your eyes open or were you already pretty flexible? Um, I wouldn't describe us, describe us as pretty flexible, but I would say we had flexibility. There was, there was times where, you know, if people wanted to work from home because a washing machine was being delivered or, you know, um, they're not very well or I don't know, anything. Like, we was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. No worries. Like, we're quite free in that sense. Um, but I think if, if somebody come to us and said, can we work from home two days a week? I'd say absolutely not. Um, I think I was quite strict. Yeah, that's what I mean. We, we, we'd still, if people had, had a delivery or something, that we'd let them work at home but like we've had lots of people come to us and be like oh I'm, I'm, can I just do two days a week at home and it's in my mind that was I was thinking so you're just asking to work three days a week um no that's like, the same as me <laughs> like my friend do you know what my friend said to me the other day she said oh I've loved working from home she said I've been able to get all my washing done I cut my grass the other day so I was like yeah so you haven't been working yeah <laughs> um, exactly. so I think I think, yeah, we had flexibility, and but I, I guess I, I was quite, I guess, strict in that sense. We've had quite a lot of people apply for jobs. We've actually had about 15 people from the US apply to work at Rise at 7, and they said, you know, I'm in the US. You haven't got an office here, but are you open to it? And we're like, sorry, just not right now. Um, I think, um, yeah, it's changed my opinion slightly, not massively. Maybe maybe I've still got a way to go, but maybe, maybe Stephen and argue against that. So why not right now? by the way, just on the US, you guys feel, it feels like the answer to everything with expansion would be, yeah, let's do it. So if not now, when? We don't, we don't know enough. Um, as We don't know as much as we would like to know. That's potentially part of it. So I think that, you know, we, the way that we launched in the UK, the way that it worked was because we came out of nowhere and went straight to 60 mile an hour. And we would want to do the same thing in the US. We'd want to make a splash when we do arrive. Um, and so that, you know, the kind of test and learn thing isn't really what we do. It's very much a, okay, we're going this way and we're all in on it. Um, and and uh, I think that the US definitely is part of that. I think the other aspect of it is because we're still, we're, we're just a year old. We want to get everything working as best as it possibly can be. So we're just at this stage of getting our senior team in place in the agency. You know, we're just bringing on new software and I don't know it's a, a iterative thing and you never finish your senior team and you never finish your operations side of things but you know we are literally just getting to that point where we're thinking about how do we make this business work when it's 50 people because that's going to be in a few months um, and and ha- having that layer of complexity with the US where we've not quite got that in place yet it feels like what that would do is distract me and Carrie and we would have to be out there uh, we'd certainly have to pay a lot of attention to it and I think that when you're talking about things like time zones 
you know, we've, we're expecting that when someone does come on board, and this is like the extreme example of remote working, but they need to be autonomous. They need to be doing things themselves without us. Um, and, you know, because we are different um, to, the rest, to the rest of the market, we still feel that we need to stamp our authority and stamp our, uh, you know, our own way of doing things onto, onto all the process and everything that goes with it before we can just roll that out yet. Yeah, that makes sense. That I makes think sense. as well. Words. Oh, sorry. Go on. No, no. Go um, on, as well. So we've obviously been going for about a year, but we have 12 clients over in the US already. And uh, we haven't done any outbound, nothing. Literally every single client that we work with has came to us. And 12 of those were in the US, which is interesting. So for me, I felt as if we don't need people out there yet. We don't need a presence out there because people out there are already hearing about us and they're coming to us. So um, I think when it, especially in SEO and especially in digital, we can all sit behind, you know, I'm sat at my dining table right now with my Mac. And so that is possible. Um, And I guess it's changed my way of thinking in that sense. I think we will go to the US, absolutely. Um, But I think right now, the clients are coming to us out there. We we already kind of know the market from an SEO perspective and digital PR. We don't know enough, but we're definitely going to get there. Um, and very similar to what Stephen said, we want we want to go big in that sense. So um, we're going to spend the next two years learning absolutely everything we can, building up the relationships, building our client base. Um, we've got some contacts. Like I already know my first hire out there. I already know who I want to hire. Um, I've been building those relationships on social media, etc. Um, so yeah, we will get there. Um, and I think the fact that as a new business we're, go, we're aiming to do that in, in the next two years is, is still fast enough for me <laughs> so one of the things that you you will be told by people that have sort of taken agencies from the UK to the US is for one of you to go there and virtually all of the success stories that I know of UK agencies launching, launching in the US one of the founders has moved over there to do it same with us Nick Cook moved over there but I can literally think of all of the ones that have succeeded and virtually all of them that have failed and come back with their tail between their legs a year later, they haven't sent the founder out there. Now, I'm sure there are examples of people that have launched successfully without it, but I would definitely argue it's a lot easier if one of you were to go out there. Is there, not to try and sort of make you answer the question if you don't want to, but would there be an interest from one of you to potentially move out there or are you both you firmly fixed on staying in the UK and growing a global business, um, sort of with using other senior team and stuff like that. Where, you know, is it something that you've discussed at all or not? Yeah, so um, we agree with absolutely everything that you've said. Um, we've kind of spoke to a few people who said similar um, and straight away um, we said, I- I'm up for that. So more than likely in the next two years, I'd be the person that goes out there. Um, more from a my approach to marketing, um, I think his one, what we've delivered, I guess, in the UK and would basically replicate that over in the US so and I was the person behind that I guess so I'm just looking I'd go over there straight away and do that but also the digital PR and creative content side of what we do um, is very behind especially digital PR over in the US and um, most of the US work that we've won is on the digital PR side 
and that's my bag. I know it, you know, it, I could do it in my sleep um, kind of thing. So for to choose who's the best person to go out there and, you know, grow something, it would be me. Um, and I'm happy to do that. I think myself and Stephen are in two different positions in our lives. Stephen has a wife and a baby, whereas I'm 26 year old, I'm single, I, I have no commitments, there's nothing. So I'm happy to go and do that and give it my all. And I think we've we've worked out, you know, our strengths, the opportunities and all that sort of stuff and, and came to that decision. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes Stephen's Stephen's my equivalent by the looks of things. I mean, I'm the same. I'm 32. I've got two little kids, and I'm married. Harry's 25, and you know, Nick's 30, and, and has a long term girlfriend. But we're in three very different parts of our lives. There was no way I was going to move to the US. You know, take take little kids with me and try and put them in schools and do all of that stuff. Um, I, I think it's really good having that balance. To be honest, I think I can feel feel the the balance between you and Stephen and there's a there's definitely an age and experience factor there there's a you know and and I think there's a sort of Stephen is clearly and and you you described how you both dealt with COVID it's perfect you need both responses somebody needs to deal with the immediate and somebody needs to go okay that's fine deal with the immediate but we still need to plan we still need a structure we still need a long-term goal here and so I think having the combination of the two of you in the same way that we have a mix and lots of other great businesses have that mix, I think is really, really powerful. You might fit, you might do, then what you will notice is, so when we sent Nick to New York, he's then building a team that, if you think about it, is a representation closer to Nick than it is to the three of us. And the best goats are sort of mixed between the three of us. So we then have to overcompensate on making sure that Harry and I are able to impact the US office. So if you went there, Carrie, you just have to still enable Stephen to bring the sort of balance into play, which then becomes quite difficult. And obviously you'd have to do the same, making sure we're going into the UK. So, but it's really interesting. I think if you were the same people, it's very, very difficult to do this. I think the, the biggest advice to anyone thinking about setting up a a founding team right now is to find people that are as sort of polar opposites as possible, still aligned from a work ethic point of view and stuff like that, but then as different as possible. Yeah, it's interesting when you say that because when whenever myself and Stephen are making a decision, we both say different things, and then when it comes to deciding whether we go left or right, we go right. Which way we go in? They go left. And we both say it at the same time. So although we both have different opinions and we make th- people think in different ways, we both come to the end conclusion. So that's what makes the relationship perfect be- between um, us two is, yeah, we have the different um, mindsets and the different ways of thinking for sure. But the decision at the end of it is nearly always aligned. Yeah, I think that's really critical. You need to have an agreed direction that you're all running in. Um, you know, whenever we've had real success at the agency, or whenever we've sort of, you know, had a, a bad month or something like that, I can always look at when there's one thing that we're all running towards, we're hugely successful. And when the goal is a bit confused and we're sort of talking about four or five different things that we're looking at, then the results tend to drop a bit. And I just think having that sort of clear um, sort of unilateral thing that everybody's running at is absolutely critical. Um, okay, so last sort of major question from me really is around work-life balance. What partly because of a you know the fact that we're all working from home, but just because 
you know, I know full well how all encompassing, you know, trying to build this and do this is. It's never enough. It's, it's, you know, you always think you can do more. You can always, how do you deal with that? You know, each of you personally, how do you deal with success? Are you, are you enjoying the journey? Are you really target driven? Um, sorry, I've mixed two questions there. Work-life balance and success. So the question is, how do you deal with the work-life balance around when to sign off, when not to? And then how do you sort of, how do you actually find that balance when clearly you're so driven to success? And so I feel like if I called either of you at like two o'clock in the morning, you'd, you'd answer like, and if I had a brief, like you'd get the whole team on it. And, and like, it just feels like there'd never be a, there'd never be a no because you just, you want it so much. How do you find that balance personally? For me, it's about habits, routines. So I stop working at six and then Max has his dinner and his bath at six onwards. He goes to bed at about eight and then I can pick it up again. But between six and eight, you know, I'm not really contactable mostly. Um, and then I'll, I'll do some things in the evening, but then I do a whole lot in the middle of the night on my phone. So, uh, you know, again, it's a necessity thing. But I, if I've got a baby in my arms who won't sleep, unless you're holding him, then I've got one hand on the phone and I'm doing a whole bunch of stuff in the middle of the night. And then, you know, Carrie wakes up to 15 emails from me by the time she gets up. Um, and then I, I'm I'm definitely surviving on little sleep, to be fair, and, and kind of working around that. But at the same time, I think, like, you kind of have to... This has to be your hobby. You can't have Xbox time. You can't have, you know... Uh, you, you've got to be really clear about what stuff you're going to punt so that you can do this, especially if you're, you know, raising a family and you, you've got, you know, a, a social life and that kind of thing as well. You've got to be really clear about what you're not going to do. I think from my perspective as well. So when I used to work at Branded 3 and edit, I worked like that agency was mine. I worked my arse off, Aaron. Honest to God, like I used to work till 3 a.m. most nights. As soon as I woke up at, you know, 6, 7 in the morning, I was on my phone checking for press coverage and emailing clients, coming up with ideas. To be honest, me as a personality, I, I don't switch off, but I'm like that in everything. I get excited going to Tesco. Like that's me. Um, but I think... That's why I knew I needed to start this agency is because I thought I can channel all this passion, all this enthusiasm into this business. And that's why actually when we've won clients, they've all said it's the enthusiasm that you two give off if you actually care about the results. So it's worked for us in that sense. But I think that's been one of my biggest issues forever as in work-life balance um i think more recently i've been much better so like at the weekend i went away for the weekend and and just kind of went walking and stuff and that's the first time i've done that for a while and i think the 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 thing that's changed for me is the senior middle management people the um the people that i trust to get on with it and if i'm not there they fix it um i don't think in my career i've had that many people that i can trust um so the hiring part of of this role i guess as someone that owns a company is so so important for me i just look at them like can i trust you with my life because rise at seven is my life Somebody asked me recently about building their own personal brand and they said, you know, we really want to do this. I really want to build it up. And I said, there's a, what do we need to do? And I'm like, you, you just need to care. You just need to want to do it because you can't force it upon somebody. And it does mix work and life. And um, there's no boundaries in that sense. Um, it get, becomes blurred. Um, so very similar to what Stephen said, it, 
I think it has to be your hobby. Your work has to be your hobby to go really at it. I think those that keep it separate is amazing, but, um, and I'd love to be able to do that one day for sure. Maybe I'll get there when, when I've got much more bigger team. Um, but I think that's been my biggest issue for sure running a business. I mean, I've never, I've never met anyone that can actually keep it separate. Um, you know, it's too difficult. Um, what do you, what do you feel that you have given up? You know, for me, it's, it's, you know, it, it's what Stephen was saying. It's it's hobbies. It's things. You know, I used to go to Chelsea. I was, I'm, I'm a big Chelsea fan. I used to go to Chelsea all the time. Um, and I I literally haven't. I don't remember the last time I watched a Chelsea game on TV because I don't control the TV in my house. My children do. You know what I mean? So you you whether it's kids or whatever it is, you're always like if I look at my life now versus what I look at five years ago and think of the things that I am willing to give up it's things around friends it's things for me personally like it can look very easy what you guys have done and I know how difficult it is like what are the things that people wouldn't see but you know you guys know that's when it's really hard like what are the moments when you sort of question is 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 this worth it and do you question that i don't think we can question that and i I, i'd kind of echo what carrie said before which is like even though we've owned a business for a year we've lived this lifestyle for quite a long time so i i think like it is like stuff that we've given them i don't really watch tv um at all Uh, i'm sometimes in a room when a tv is on but that's that's all i could really say um i think the real tough one for me in the last year has been exercise i've done none I'm wearing Gymshark stuff. I don't know why. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not going to the gym. I'm not even going for a walk. So, um, so yeah, that that's the thing that's really kind of hit hit me uh, personally over the last year. And I've kind of had the a date in my mind of when I think the team's going to be in such a state that I could do that. You know, so it's not something that you think I'm going to give everything up forever. It's a case of well, I can. I can live without these things for this period of time and I'll pick them back up again. But yeah, I, I'd agree with you, Aaron. It's like, probably don't see my friends as much as I would like to. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't exercise or, or, or watch TV or play video games or... Yeah, I feel like I don't do anything, to be honest, like you mentioned it. But it's worth it. Absolutely. Okay, so last question. Um, I, I try and ask this to, to everyone. From a 30,000 foot view point of view here specifically around marketing and the marketing mix how do you see like what changes do you foresee over the next two or three years to the world and the society that we live in um i'd i'd, I'd also be interested in in sort of how society will change from a retail point and things like that as well if you've got an opinion on that I think that the big trend that's happened, and I mean, you've got stuff like, historically, you've got things like direct response, but the big trend that's happened over the last 10 years has been performance marketing and the ability to measure everything means you should measure everything. And that kind of has come at the expense of actually doing anything in a lot of senses. So as long as you can measure it, it doesn't matter if it's good. And I think that's where things are now changing. And, you know, coronavirus is one part of that where, Everyone who has failed to invest in a brand previously has now got some real issues because there's nothing to measure. There's no traffic. There's no conversion compared to the levels that they were at. So they're, they're really struggling to be relevant on the other side of this. 
And I think that the real the real change in the marketing landscape is going to come when people stop looking at measurement as being the important bit and the work as being secondary and start looking at actually we need to do something that builds this brand and obviously we should measure it but we we are prepared to accept long-term views on on what measurement should look like rather than this penny needs to drive this two pennies I think that's the real sort of shift that we're about to have because everything from, you know, ITP that uh, that Apple's rolling out through to GDPR and again, loads of acronyms, but there's a real war on measurement at the moment. And if you are the type of agency that needs that to be able to prove that they're doing something worthwhile, you're going to lose. Really interesting. Carrie? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. We we spoke about this and we were saying how even down to like internal processes of, of, of an agency, um, you know, the way that we've measured timesheets, the way that we've ma- measured all these things in the past, it slowed us down. Um, and I think the way that we've grown fast is by being fast. And the way that we've been fast is because we haven't had people slowing us down. We haven't had project managers and account managers and things like that. We haven't got data collectors and people that are bombarding us with the things that doesn't matter right now. We will do. We will get to that stage where we'll need all these things and processes. But I think what we are going to be putting our efforts into is making sure that we choose and make decisions to not impact speed in that way and because speed is where we've got to today um so i I agree with everything that stephen said but i think the the speed element um and you know data bogging you down and too many processes in an agency is 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 definitely affected and changing things in in this industry yeah and that you feel that will give you a a big advantage going forward against the more established agencies who it's going to take time and money for them to sort of unwind these structures and processes that they've already got oh absolutely we had a client come to us recently and they asked you know they said somebody did it well an agency did a piece of content for them and they made a few amends spelling amends and things like that very very small amends it took them two weeks just to do that whereas we we would just do it there and then um so i think we're lucky in the fact that yes we've got staff we are very very busy but the fact that we don't have these things slowing us down puts us at an advantage for sure all right well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you both um i've really really enjoyed it as always i would highly encourage people to go and get in touch with rise at seven it's very very rare that i um admire um another agency as much as i do you guys i had dan from brain labs on last week another agency that i i think is you know they're a bit further down the sort of journey than than both of us but again i think the same ethos of of disruption and everything else so um i would highly highly recommend that people get in touch with carrie and Stephen. have you guys got anything anything to add where can people find you where can they where can they get in touch yeah sure um so rise at seven on twitter um it's all written so no numbers um <laughs> that's one thing that people get us wrong um but yeah just just drop us a get you can see us on twitter or carrie rose Stephen camera on linkedin um, we're very personal in that uh, in that sense we don't have any sales team that are gonna kind of i don't know try to make loads of money out of you guys but yeah feel free to contact us in those ways or rise at seven.com i look forward to watching your world domination <laughs> <laughs>